Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Alex Grubb to the show. Welcome, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Alex is a legal solutions executive at LexisNexis. And as is true for a number of our recent guests, I went out and asked people who are some of the best account executives you know. And uh, one of Alex's colleagues had recommended Alex over to me. And I went on her LinkedIn profile. And of course, uh, I got what I expected, which is tons and tons of awards, presidents, clubs, and, and so on. So uh, we'll get into what has helped make Alex successful and, and the people that she's learned from. Before that, I would love to learn a little bit about our guests. I always give the guests a choice of what question they want to answer. And, and Alex was kind enough to, to volunteer for one of my favorites, which is your, your favorite hobby or an interesting or unusual hobby. So I'd love to hear about your interesting or unusual hobby. I have a lot of unusual and interesting things that I'm into. But one that I've been um, really actively into lately is EDM music, which is electronic dance music. So I go to those festivals pretty actively. It's a nice release. It's a community where you can be exactly who you are and you're accepted no matter how you show up, how you dance. Everybody's different and they bring their own kind of sauce to the table, if you will. It's a great community and I love being part of the scene. Yeah. Well, I often, I mean, one of the things I love to, to understand is, and maybe this is, is too aggressive of a segue, but what have you learned from the EDM world that you would apply to your selling? That's a great question. And I think it's just that we're all so similar that we each have things that make us different. And I've kind of adapted this sense of open-mindedness. I've always been pretty open-minded, but through the EDM scene, you really have to like take full advantage of being open-minded because everybody's so different. And so through sales, having that same mentality puts you so much further ahead of the game. You can't assume in sales, right? When you assume, that's going to be your downfall because everybody has their own unique answers, their own unique situation, and there's a different way of doing things. And so I go into it with a very open mind. I ask as many questions as I need to. And I feel like through the EDM scene, it's just helped me learn that expect the unexpected and then get comfortable with it. Yeah, I, I do think it's, it is that, hey, you're going to meet all these different people and you have to have an open mind. And I think it's also looks looks can be deceiving. That's also true. And, and especially when people get I'm um, old fogey language gussied up to, you know, to go out and participate in the scene, that may be a different persona than their at work persona. Totally common. I would I would say the exact same about myself. And I think that it allows you to be your full self when you have those separate personas instead of trying to, I read something earlier today that said, don't try and half-ass two things, whole ass one thing at one time. And so I feel that way with my different personas. I fully embody them. I embrace them. I am who I am, wherever I am. And it just works. There's a flow to it. And I agree. Well, let's let's wind the clock back a, a little bit. I mean, you've spent nearly six years there at, at LexisNexis, from what I can tell, growing your way up from from entry level. What were you doing before LexisNexis? So before LexisNexis, I was a banker for U.S. Bank, and I worked at the in-store branch of Meyer in Hamilton, Ohio. 
and I sold things from credit cards to car loans, mortgages, refinances, anything and everything that has to do with banking. Were there lessons that you learned as a selling in a reta- basically retail banking environment that you were that you've been able to translate over into the B2B world? I think that in the retail environment, I had to embrace a level of confidence. I've always been in sales. One of my very first jobs was sales. I used to sell for RDI marketing was one of my first um, sales jobs. I also worked on a pheasant farm and I sold pheasant pot pies. So I've really sold a little bit of everything. And I think that throughout that, my confidence has just grown. And I think in the retail world, what I found so exciting about it was that there were so many different people and they walked up to you. And no matter what was going on in your outside world or your your personal life, it was just so easy for me to drop it at the door. Because when somebody comes up to you face to face, I was all about them in that moment, you know, and it wasn't even really about the sale for me. It was about getting the most out of my time that I had with that person. I want I want to know everything about them. I want to know how their day is going, how I can make their day better. You know, screw everything that's going on in my life. That's not important. I'm going to have to deal with that when I leave today. So the retail world kind of helped me really manifest this idea of when I'm at work, I'm at work. One, one thing I'm thinking about is you did that job right out of college. So you're in your, I would assume, in your early 20s asking people for probably what's one of the hardest things for them to, to give you access to, their money. Did you learn from a, a, you know, a manager or mentor or coworker there on how to, how to build rapport and trust quickly enough to, and you were successful there, so? Yeah, um, so there... Getting told no was definitely different um, because it was face-to-face. It it was a very small branch with it being in-store. So there was only about four or five of us that worked there. And I was the youngest. And I was 21 when I very first started, which was the youngest banker at that time. Um, And actually, I had gotten turned down from my interview. When I left my interview, I had gotten turned down and I demanded to have another interview. And I told them, I said, Hey, I was really nervous. I was not myself because I remember I walked away and they said, yeah, she was really nice. And for some reason that rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, nice is not my number one descriptive word. Like that's not the characteristic I would pick for me. I would pick (laughs) outgoing, you know, spontaneous, unique, all these other words. And so I said, you have to give me a redo. I promise you're not going to regret it. I will show up a totally different person. I have a huge personality. I don't know why I boxed it in. You're not going to regret it give me another shot. And they did. And then I got it. So I went for it and I got it. And so I was able to learn from people there. But Lexus is really what put me over the edge. I had, I was so fortunate enough to eventually get a manager. His name is David Dowd. And he's the one who truly changed the game for me. He made me level up my life in every way, shape, and form. And actually today I'm celebrating my three years of sobriety. So that was a huge step for me too. And that was something that he encouraged me to do. Once I got sober, everything changed. I took work so much more seriously. I took sales so much more seriously. He told me that I had this it factor and it was like a superpower and I was wasting it. And I really needed to hone in and focus. And if I did, I would take what I was capable of And I would just reach heights that most people only dream of reaching. And I believed him. And once I took his advice seriously, I manifested it and I made it happen. So he was my true inspiration and he really helped guide me and mentor me. So I accredit a lot of my success to him. 
I want to come back to David in a second and to sobriety in a second. I'll also say that, you know, what your experience when you were getting that job at U.S. Bank, I bet a lot of their decision was based on the fact that, look, if you're selling, you're selling yourself in the interview and you didn't take no for an answer and you came back around. I, I respect it when candidates actually come back around. It's a positive sign. Um, I also think reps, by the way, when they get told, you know, hey, you're not the vendor of choice, I think they shouldn't give up right? Until the ink is dry on the contract with, with whichever contract, I would stay in there. And I say that because I recently bought something. Um, I'm more in buying mode than in selling mode. When I told the competing, I, it was down to two companies. And when I told the competing rep, like they weren't the vendor of choice, that was the last I heard from them. You never know. Like, I mean, there's a lot of psychology that goes on in purchasing. I could have come back around. Right. Uh, so you leave this job as a, you know, as, as a banker that you, you'd hustled to get, and now you enter the world of, of software sales. And from what I can tell you, you know, you started at the, the bottom rung for SaaS sales as an SDR. Was David your manager then or did that, that happen later? That happened way later. I went through about four or five managers before I got to David. How I even got my foot in the door is a crazy story in itself because I was not qualified. You had to have a bachelor's degree in order to get in the door. My mom had worked for LexisNexis for 20 years, but she was in like the the engineering and soft, like actual like behind the scenes software department. So she didn't really know anybody in sales to help get me in there. And I had applied so many times. They kept saying no. They kept saying no. And then she finally told me about this like speed dating thing where in the cafeteria, they had a huge cafeteria at the campus and you brought your resume and you dressed up as like it was for an interview and you sat down at a table and then there was about 15 different like managers, vice presidents, like higher up individuals there. And they went from table to table and they basically did speed interviews. And I was like, great, this is my shot. This is my chance. And so I went, I took my uh, resume. I'm not even kidding, Jeremy. 15 people probably sat down and told me no. They were like, yeah, better luck next year. Let us know when you graduate. Add me on LinkedIn. I'll follow you. I'll endorse you. All these things. But like now's not the time. You're not qualified. I had only been in like qualified sales, I guess you can call it, for a year and a half. And so they were like, you don't even have enough experience. And, you know, of course, I hated hearing that. I was getting told no left and right and to my face. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I need a break. So they had a snack bar there. So. I figured if people were going to start telling me no anyway, in my head, I changed my mindset and I was like, okay, I'm going to stop trying to impress people and be this person I'm, I'm thinking they want me to be. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to have a good time with it then. So went to the snack bar, got some food, went back and sat back down. And this guy sat down in front of me and we just cut it up. We just had a conversation and I embodied everything that was bar talk. I was myself. I don't think we talked about business and ounce of the conversation. And then towards the end, he asked me how I felt about coming in for a real interview. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I think that you'd be perfect for our starter sales position in SDR. And I was like, wait a minute, dude, are you even qualified to like offer me that? And he was like, yeah, I'm the vice president of our sales department. And I was like, what? <laughs> so that helped me get my foot in the door. That's awesome. Went into the interview with him, nailed it and got the job. And yeah, I started from the bottom up. I mean, that happened multiple times throughout my career at Lexus where I was ready for the next step and people would say no, and I didn't take the no. I was like, okay, you might say no, but that means that I need to go to somebody else because I think I'm ready and I'm willing to prove it. Yeah. Well, you now obviously established your your bona fides. You you said you went through a series of managers until you got to, uh, until you got to Dave. What what were some of the things that you, you sort of felt you needed as you moved up from the SDR world into the AE world? Patience was was one thing that was huge for me. 
because especially starting out so young, I started at Lexus when I was 22. So I was, again, one of the younger people there. And I was one of the only ones without, you know, a bachelor's degree. And so I didn't understand any of the terminology. And so I needed to really focus. And there's a lot of self-discipline when you're not doing face-to-face sales because you don't have people walking up to you who are either inquiring or, you know, the conversation's different because then I had to learn how to cold call. That wasn't really something that I was very familiar with having to do and rely on solely to meet my quota. And so um, it was a lot of trial and error um, and something that I've definitely learned more than anything throughout my career at Lexus is the comfortability of getting told no and and coming right back and just, just taking it for face value and not taking anything personal. They weren't saying no to me. They were saying no to the company. I probably didn't learn that until about four years in, I finally stopped taking everything so personal and uh, just kept kept going at it. And, you know, if, if one person's going to tell you no, don't chase them, just replace them. And so that was kind of the mindset that I had to learn to adapt. And once I was able to adapt it, my numbers grew. You see a lot of advice out there that says, you know, there's like these tips and tricks, right? Should you say, uh, am I catching you at a good time? I hope I'm not catching you at a bad time. The reason for my call is X, Y, Z. Like, what, what's your take on all on on that sort of advice? Is it do you incorporate it? Is it effective? Do you test it out and see what happens? How, how do you how do you take that information? Yeah, I definitely say trial and error is your friend because everybody's different. Everybody's style is different. Um, I've mentored so many reps and I've coached so many people. And everybody's style is different. So whatever you're comfortable with, but I would definitely recommend stepping outside of your comfort zone. I tried so many different things and what works for me might not work for somebody next to me. But for me, it's all about the bar talk. That's what's always worked for me is letting down my guard so that the person on the other end of the phone can let down their guard and realize that this is a comfortable, safe space. I'm not going to jam a sale down your throat, buddy. Okay. I just want to talk to you and see if I have a solution that might help fill some gap in your life. It doesn't need to be forced, you know? So when I go into a cold call, I'm trying to talk about them. I'll usually open it up with a joke of some kind. However I'm feeling, if they ask me how my day is, I'm usually pretty honest. If I'm having a bad day, I'm telling them about my bad day and why it's a bad day. And then usually they can relate to it. They're like, oh yeah, that happened to me last week. It sucked. And I'm like, I know, right? So it's kind of building that relationship and that rapport straight out the gate. I don't wait. I want to have that trust and that comfortability. So that way nothing, nothing is fake. Everything is candid and we could just be ourselves together and have a real conversation. Vulnerability or disclosure, right? Is I think that's one way to build trust is like the more transparent you are about yourself, the more likely the other person is to open it up. Obviously you need to use these things authentically and, and genuinely. I heard in a movie and I've heard it plenty of times subsequent, so it's by no means original, which is this phrase, interested is interesting. I, I think that's such a powerful way to live. The You mentioned the joke thing. I'd love to understand a little bit more what you mean by that. I was actually I was calling back to the the tattoo thing from this weekend while I was sitting in the coffee shop uh, in Queens. They had a board in the coffee shop with dad jokes on there. I love dad jokes. I'm going to ask you one. So this one is, what is the opposite of coffee? Oh, I don't know. What is it? Sneezy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, see, something <laughs> like that. I would think it would be like just open a door. 
you know, I'm with you, but do you, do you like, do you use those kinds of jokes or are they more situational comedy? I'm curious what you, what you use. Yeah, it's definitely more situational comedy. So I'm actually also a stand up comedian. Like, listen, interesting and unusual are two things that I embody wholeheartedly. So I've done stand up comedy for about two years and then I did improv for a while as well. I went to improv school and then I did that. And it's one of those things where you just try to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's something that I love. I thrive in it. And I'm always just trying to reach that next step up the ladder. And so when it comes to joking in sales, it's kind of like a really common one that I'll use when they're like, how are you? I'll say, you know, I'm living the dream. Somebody's dream. It's not mine. I don't know whose it is, but, you know, I hope that they're loving it too. And usually they laugh because they're like, no, I totally feel that, you know, they can relate with it because they're like, yeah, I don't know whose dream I'm living either. So something that is like relatable and kind of like they can, they can click with, they can relate with. And then there's something that like invites them to be on the same wavelength as me through that. We keep kind of uh, coming, you know, back to back in in and out towards David. So I'm curious if I were to go work for David, like what would he teach me? What, What would be the most useful lessons I could learn from him? You'd, you'd become your best self without a doubt. If you, if you followed the advice that he gave, he, not only taught me how to be one of the top sales reps in my company, but he taught me how to be a genuine leader. He taught me what a leader looks like. And not only did he teach it to me, he showed me. He was the embodiment of a genuine leader. And he, he wasn't just a manager. He truly genuinely cared about his people. And the proof was in the pudding he just went above and beyond for us. He went out of his way. There were, like I said, I was really young when I started and I was, I was a brand new single mom when I started. I didn't know, but when I had gotten hired, I was two weeks pregnant. So nine months later I was a brand new mom. Um, and I did it all on my own and that was really hard. And I went through a bunch of different battles with that. And he was so patient with me by the time that he had gotten to me and he, he heard me, he listened to me. He let me be vulnerable. And then he knew my strengths and he sold me on my own strengths and basically laid out how to use my strengths to overcome my weaknesses and why it would be beneficial for me. So he became my safe place to go, but also my motivation. He knew how to motivate me. And I'm the type of person where I need somebody who's blunt and doesn't sugarcoat, doesn't beat around the bush. I need somebody who's like, hey, you are seriously being lazy. You are slacking. I need you to pick it up. And I know that you're capable of it, you know? So if you're going to give me some harsh feedback or criticism or whatever, I think that cushioning it with capabilities and the value that you bring to the table, it's a beautifully blended conversation to be had. And he, he did that. He was an expert at it. And so that's helped me to coach my reps, all of the people that I've mentored. And I haven't had a, a single mentee that wasn't successful because I, I take a lot of pride in it, just like David did. He took a lot of pride in his people and he handpicked them because he built his own team from scratch and people said that he couldn't do it and he definitely did it. He showed up and showed out. And so that meant a lot to me. I feel so lucky to have had someone to prove to me that good leaders do exist. Because since David, I have definitely seen bad management. I've seen somebody come into a company and completely tear it apart. And I think that without having David as a reference for good leadership, 
my idea of leadership could have been completely, you know, misconstrued. It could have been damaged and I could have envisioned leaders as people who just take advantage of power. But because David got to me first and he showed me and taught me what a good leader was, I knew that there were just bad seeds. So many managers are neutral seeds. They're just getting going through. And then I agree that there's like a handful of bad seeds, hopefully not too many of them, but you definitely hear horror stories. And then a handful of, of good seeds. Early in my career, the first decade, I thought the ultimate way to be successful as an individual contributor was to get to the point where your manager left you alone. That was completely wrong. And there's still all that advice like you hear out there that great leaders you know, hire great people and, and lay, leave them alone. That's absolutely wrong. I think two things. One is, as, as David did, great leaders believe in you more than you believe in yourself so that then your own self-confidence grows. On a related note uh, is something I learned from uh, another great book, Radical Candor by Kim Scott Malone, is, is that concept of radical candor, which is to care deeply and to challenge directly. And it sounds like, you know, David cared deeply about who you were and both personally and professionally, but he also would challenge you, right? If you were oh, yeah. in a moment of laziness or if you were stuck and resistant on not learning something that would make you a successful seller, it sounds like he, he intervened and helped you grow in that way. Yeah, without a doubt. One thing I've observed is there are people who are hungry to learn and they're sponges, right? And you can, and you can help them. But every once in a while, I, I, you know, I sort of run across somebody who, I don't know, they're just not at a phase of life at that moment where they're able to accept or wanting constructive feedback of any kind. Have you run into that much or, or, or like people are proactively coming to you so they're in that hungry mode? No, I've definitely had people that would portray themselves as hungry and they were able to sell other people on their hunger. But when it came time to put the the proof in the pudding and grind, they didn't show up. And so I had to, again, get comfortable being uncomfortable and have those very real conversations. It was conversations that I could tell weren't being had. I just had to dig. And so my strong suit has always been discovery and asking the right questions to get the right answers, the answers that genuinely matter and will get you to a, a sense of action. And so I would just dig and dig and dig and ask them, you know, what motivates you in the morning? You know, where do you want to be in a year from now or five years from now? Like, how do you see yourself? What is your brand? You know, how do you want to show up? And everybody drives off of emotion. Whereas I think that when you're, especially in the corporate world, it's all about numbers and like, you know, how are you going to hit 50 dials today? How are you going to get 50 activities? How many opportunities are you going to set? If you don't know the emotion behind somebody's why, how are you going to motivate them? You know, and I'm trying to motivate individual people. I want to know what motivates them. So that's what I bring to the table. And I've definitely had people who've shown up and not been as hungry as they've led on. And I remind them of that motivation factor. And sometimes what I've noticed, and this is something that David did with me for like a six month period when I wasn't showing up how I needed to, he backed off because he's not going to invest his time and energy into me if I'm not willing to invest it in myself. And I noticed it. I noticed it. I noticed when he was like, okay, if you don't want to take it seriously, I'm not going to take you seriously. So let me know when you're ready and I'll be here. And I love that. Wow. Well, you, that, you know, you, you left us on, on such a, such an inspirational high there. You already like disclosed two like interesting or unusual hobbies. I, I got to believe you got another one. So we had, we had EDM, uh, up comedy was the second one. 
do you do you have a third? Oh, I just became a certified life coach. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's not unusual, but that's my dream. That's what I want to do is I, I want to, I'm a, a mindset, a life and a sobriety coach. So anybody who's trying to reach that next step up the ladder and what they teach you throughout the schooling is to think about the coach that you needed five years ago. And I, I know the coach that I needed five years ago because I was going through a lot of different things. So that's the coach that I try to show up to be. That's kind of the the business route that I see as the end goal for me. So I'd like to have my own business and I'm working on the steps to get there so that that can be what I am as a, a life coach. Sweet. Well, if, if folks are listening and I want you to like teach and earn, you know, you can't just call out, you know, message Alex and, and ask for her uh, advice for free. But, you know, maybe maybe I'm, I'm help put, helping you put your shingle out there that people can reach out to you and and uh, seek your your advice. It sounds like you've been through like a lot of sales change and success and life change and success as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you, anybody that wants to reach out, um, I am an open door. Sweet. So Alex, uh, it's Alex Grubb with two Bs, G-R-U-B-B, and she is at LexisNexis. Alex, thanks so much for, for being so open and uh, for having fun with me today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.